This episode's guest is Andrew Sheaf. Andrew has been helping people improve their swimming for over 20 years. He's worked with everyone from children learning to swim to Olympic medalists to master triathletes and master swimmers. He specializes in helping triathletes improve their swimming skills through online coaching. He is also the author of A Constraints-Led Approach to Swim Coaching. On this episode, Andrew and I discuss many topics. We discuss Andrew's background, how Andrew works with swimmers, why Andrew decided to write A Constraints-Led Approach to Swim Coaching, how does Andrew decide to intervene with a swimmer's technical model, how does Andrew manage an athlete's frustration when learning a new skill, How did Andrew find the writing process involved with his book? We discuss physical preparation for swimming. Who have been Andrew's biggest influences? How does Andrew learn? I asked Andrew for his top and current book recommendations. I asked Andrew what advice he would give his younger self. I asked Andrew what advice he would give to a young and upcoming coach. I asked Andrew for the biggest lessons he has learned so far in his life. And I asked Andrew, what other loves does he have in his life outside of swimming? Guys, this was a really great discussion with Andrew, and I hope you really enjoy the show. Okay, Andrew, thank you so much for making time. It's, I'm delighted we finally uh, got time together. It's really great to have you on the podcast. Just for the listeners who aren't familiar with who you are, fill us in on the background. So my name is Andrew Sheaf. I've been coaching swimming for about uh, 15 years um, in the collegiate system in the U.S. Um, I started swimming pretty late in life. I was about 15, started in high school, swam in college. And, um, you know, a lot of people, it's a pretty tough sport. And so um, once they're done swimming in college, they've kind of had enough. But, you know, I really was still really fascinated by how people continue to improve. So I kind of got into coaching coach for about, um, you know, I've been coaching for about 15 years and just kind of keeping at it. What, what university are you coaching? At? Uh, I was, I've coached at uh, Bucknell University or University of Maryland, Bucknell University, Northwestern University and University of Virginia. Okay. And you said actually a very interesting thing there. You didn't start till you were 15. So like what, what got you into swimming then? Uh, I was actually, I really, really enjoyed running and I don't know, I just had some tweaks and something and things weren't really going very well. And, uh, one of my friend's moms was like, you should just swim. And I was just like, I don't know about that. And then like, she probably told me that a year before and I don't know, it just kind of happened. I gave it a shot and things worked out kind of one of those weird happenstance kind of deals. You just changed the addiction. You just went from ecstasy to cocaine. Right. Pretty much. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm just thinking, you know, like the type A runner, like, I love running. It's like, try swimming. Like, I don't know. And they usually yeah. get those. You, that If you ever talk to a lot of people getting triathlons and you talk to someone, how did you get triathlons? Well, like, well, I used to just do running. Then I got injured and I started doing swimming and cycling. <laughs> so it's like, right. okay, right. I yeah. get it now. I get it yeah. now. A little bit of that. Brilliant, brilliant. So tell us about your coaching journey, um, how it evolves over the the years since you first became a coach and I suppose where your current sort of philosophy is now and maybe touch into some of your coaching principles. Right. So, um, when I was, um, you know, when I was still in high school and, and, and in college, I was just kind of fascinated by training. And so I read tons of stuff about, you know, everything. And that was kind of the first, you know, that's where I thought, you know, progress comes from. Um, and, and certainly that's true to a, to a very large extent, and then um, probably towards the end of my college career, I really 
kind of came to the realization that I was a, a, a reasonable athlete, but I was not a good swimmer. And so it was the skill component that was really holding me back. And, you know, you could just, you know, for instance, like, I, you know, I've seen NCAA All-American women um, swimming that, you know, can't do a pull-up. And so that's kind of, you know, a little bit of a, sh shows you how, you know, some of the physical sides, you know, to be the best in anything, you obviously need everything, but, you know, it's not always about that. And some people are just really, really skilled at the sport. And so I started getting into that um, more so, and that has been kind of um, the biggest emphasis for, for me is, you know, how, wh what skills really matter. And then not only that, because, you know, my knowledge of that isn't particularly helpful if athletes can't learn those skills. And so that's kind of the next was the next big thing. And, and, you know, there's all sorts of, you know, social stuff and psychology that's kind of in, you know, started to become of interest as, as those problems arise. But I think the skill component and how to figure that, um, integrate that into the training, because that's, what's pretty unique and, and difficult about swimming is that, you know, you, you have to learn these skills, but you also have to perform at a, you know, you have to do, you perform them at a high level to train and, and, you know, the training is the skill development. And that's a really kind of difficult um, thing to manage because, you know, to, to learn skills to some extent, you can't really be super exhausted all the time, but to train, you're going to have to push things. And so trying to find that balance. And that's something I think the sport as a whole has really struggled with because what basically happens is, you know, you do some drills in the beginning of the season or the beginning of a workout. And then it's like, all right, it's time to train. And there's no connection between any of it. And so, you know, some people really figure it out, but a lot don't. And, um, you know, that, that's just something that I've always tried to figure out because I, I did have a pretty strong background in the training aspect of it. And then you have the, you know, starting to learn all this stuff about skills and then it's kind of really hard to reconcile those. And that's been kind of the challenge to, to figure out. So what comes into my mind, and it was John Goodwin, um, who was a lecturer on my master's course in Mary's, he was sort of the first person to really, you know, put this concept into my into my mind about like when we're looking at an athlete in terms of performance, we can kind of look at it this two pronged approach of like, okay, is is the it this athlete is having a sort of deficiency in performance or we feel that they're not reaching their potential is it because it's a skill issue or a capacity issue right. so it, it's it sounds to me there and i i have very little background in swimming i can swim and i have my lifeguard badges but i never competed as a swimmer and, and i don't know much about like the sport in terms of the training for it and the different types of training and the competition calendar and whatnot but it sounds to me and you can correct me if i'm wrong here that the traditional models seem to be very heavy on capacity training and not so much yeah. on, the skill, on the skill component. Yeah. And so when that became a realization to you, how did you reconcile that? Or, or, or I suppose w w with your system now, probably right. because, pr pr probably because you, you came to this awareness, right. how have you, how have you reconciled that dichotomy now of, 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 of making sure that skill is still an important part of a swimmer's training, but at the same time, respecting that capacity is a component too. Right. So, um, the, the first strategy I took was to, you know, to just kind of through, um, you know, watching great swimmers, um, thinking about things from just a basic, you know, mechanics perspective, and then also figuring out what, what coaches and, and researchers were having to say about, um, what, you know, what good swimming is, it's figuring those things out first, because if you don't know kind of what, what your, your goal is, it's going to be difficult to get to anywhere. 
And then the first thing I do is basically just try to talk to kids about it when they're training and like, Hey, think about this, try to do this, try to do that. And, um, you know, that, that can kind of work, but part of the problem is it's, it's really hard for you because there's, you know, between, depending on the size of your group, you know, between 15 to 60 kids in the water at the same time. And, you know, just keeping a really, really excellent focus on a, on a, on a sensation or, or like, I don't know, like move your hand six inches to the left for two hours doing the same thing over and over again, while you're also really tired, um, is kind of just a recipe for disaster. Like it's just not going to work, especially with kids. And so, you know, you just kind of realize that me telling them what to do and them trying to think about it isn't really going to be effective. And then I think it was 2008 or nine. I, uh, I was reading a guy, Laden uh, Jovanovich, his blog, and he had an interview with uh, Keith Davids. And that was kind of the start of figuring out this constraint stuff. And so what I kind of, you know, over, you know, many years of, of trial and error, what I kind of came to was that if you give people the right tasks, they don't really have a choice in terms of how they, um, well, th they're going to have to change how they swim. And if you assign those tasks well and you manage them well, you can get them to move towards the type of swimming that you want. And so, and and what's great about that is you can do that within a training context. So, um, you know, so if, I don't know, if, as an example, I'll, I'll, you could do like 10 100s. And, and so like if, if people can think about running, it, it'd be like 10 400s, but I want you to do it like you know, hop, skipping and bounding or whatever that, that puts them in the certain position that you want them to be in. And then you're still doing 10, 400s, but now you're doing it in a way that's kind of reinforcing the skills that we want. And so that was kind of, um, that, that framework was kind of the solution and then actually making it effective and then solving problems and figuring out, um, what, what tasks and, and how do you frame it and how do you set it up so that, you get the results that you want and you get to move them in the direction that you want for each and every skill. That's kind of the approach that I started to take. Um, and that way the training is the skill development and the skill development is the training. Um, and so that was kind of the approach that I kind of, I kind of have settled on. Yeah. Really good. Really good. Just, just to get a little more context too, maybe for listeners who aren't too familiar to with, with the sport of swimming too. So Maybe just talk us through how do you work with a swimmer? So when you meet someone, let's say it's a new swimmer and they come and they want to work with you. And just yeah. as well, just for clarification, what, what age group are you typically working with? So you said college, so I'm imagining you're working with an 18 to 22 year old. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, okay. Um, So like say you're getting a, um, a new swimmer who comes in at college. Like, so just maybe walk us through that system. Like, do you assess them? Are you like... Do you look over their whole train load? Like, are you involved with their S and C as well as their, their technical and tactical? Separate, there's typically a separate coach for that. Okay. It, you know, so, yeah. yeah, just 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 wondering. And so, yeah, so maybe just just to make this, uh, the question um, more concise, just a brand new swimmer shows up and he's training with you or she, he or she, uh, like talk us through like what is your sort of system of model there? Is there, yeah. you know, is there a consultation? Is there a, a, any type of assessment, whether that's for a capacity or whether that's for movement and then the training process? Right. So I think, um, well, so, so two things is, is from a skill standpoint, you know, what I've tried to do is, is boil it down to the, to the fundamental principles of what, how fast swimming 
um, happens. And so basically to move forwards, you either have to create more propulsion and that's by moving water backwards basically, or, and you have to eliminate drag. So like, you know, it's just like a, a submarine is going to move through the water pretty well versus, I don't know, something that's not really not streamlined. And so, yeah. Can I, can I, sorry, can I ask just one question? What yeah. causes drag? So basically um, the more you move straight through the water and a body profile that's as, as narrow as possible. So if um, you're moving, if you're wiggling side to side, like that's not a straight profile. If your legs are dragging really low, your legs, not a straight profile. So like you just want to create as little resistance through the water. So think about it. Like if you're driving in the car, everyone's done, done this when they're 10 years old, they stick their hand out the window and get all this pressure on their forearm when their hands pointed straight up, but then you point your hand down and it just kind of slips right through. So any motion that you do there that makes more resistance, like you can feel it on your arm. That's basically the same thing that's happening as you move through the water. And so if you're lifting your head up and your hips are dropping, if you're moving your shoulders really far side to side, like those are all things that are going to increase drag. So, so essentially it's poor body position really in the correct. water. Yep. Perfect. Correct. perfect. Okay. Yeah. Continue. Sorry. I just wanted okay. to get that. So, so, so those are the two big skills that you have to have as more, you want more propulsion, you want less drag and every other variation of every other, of every single technical problem that anyone has ever talked about is one of those two things. So for me, rather than trying to solve an infinite number of problems, I know I've just got to solve two problems when I try to design skills. And so I try to keep it really simple. And each stroke, um, there's a little bit different rules. And so those, those um, the, the increasing propulsion and, and decreasing drag shows up a little bit differently in those skill and those particular strokes. So, so what I basically do is I design skill oppor or training and skill opportunities to to um, fix those problems because I know that everyone has the same basic problems. And so I don't have to do too much preemptive screening because I know what the problems are going to be. So like you have to swim this race. We know what it's going to be. We know that the issues that almost always arise. And so I just start training those from day one. Um, in terms of uh, an assessment, I'm watching them them swim and I'm seeing where they have more opportunities, where they where they make more of those mistakes. And I can probably tailor it a little bit. But for the most part, I've already planned in what's going to help, what's going to address those issues, whatever they show up in, because everyone has the same basic issues. Now, some people need a little bit different things from a training standpoint. You know, everyone's going to need, um, you know, everyone's going to need some fitness. Everyone's going to need some speed. But some people need a lot more of one and a lot less of the other. And you, you know, in terms of assessment, what you can, you can talk to them and get their training experience. You know, if a kid um, comes from a background where they've done tons of endurance work, well, then you know that that's probably what, and they've, and they've reached a pretty high level of swimming. Well, that's probably what's going to be helpful for them. And so, and then it's a matter of literally watching them train. What can they do? And, and, and you just give them a, a, a basic, a bunch of different tasks and, and, what are they successful with? And then you just start to get a, a sense of where they are because it's, you know, it's really hard to um, assess. You just have to be pretty conservative at first and and just watch what happens. And the same thing with like some of the land stuff, you just kind of see, see how they move. It's like, you know, if, they, if they're, if they have no mobility, that's pretty obvious, you know, after, you know, 10 minutes and then you, then, then you may, might need to design work with a strength coach to, to um, design an intervention for that. And then it's kind of, you know, you're just moving forward from there. And and as um, you kind of go through a season, 
you see performances and, and you, or you see a lack of performances. And then that, that, then that helps you kind of tailor into what they need more specifically. Um, because a lot of times, you know, th- people, people will perform and everything's great, even though you thought you saw things that were, that would have been a problem, but for whatever reason, they're not for that athlete or things become evident once you see them really race and go through a season. And so unfortunately it's a little bit of um, trial and error, but it's based on, you know, some solid principles and, and you have to be conservative at first. And because then, you know, which direction to move, you just have to do a little bit more if it doesn't work quite well. Yeah. Great stuff. And so is there, when you are training the swimmers, are you rec- like, do you record yeah. you, you re- and is it, are you able to, re- do you have the technology to record in the pool so they can see their, their technique? Oh, well, I thought you meant, so, so I always, I always record performances. Oh well, yes. No, yeah. I actually meant video yeah. record. Sorry. Okay. Sorry. So you were talking about, you can, um, so it's kind of a, it, I only use it for like calibration and for confirmation. So if they, if they're, if I'm like, you know, if, if, if they think they're putting their arm in straight and they're actually putting their arm like way out to the left and they're like, coach, it's straight, coach, it's straight. And I'm just like, here's, here's a video. And they're like, oh man, coach, it's not straight. Like that's how it can be useful for video. I think so that they, you know, cause you could be the best coach in the world. They don't believe you because you're their coach. They don't believe you. But if like someone else will tell you that they'll believe them. And so I try to make things objective as possible. And so, you know, if, if, if there's a time or like, I, you know, ask them to count their strokes a lot. Um, and you know, again, if you need the video, it, you just, you give them something objective and then they believe you. And so I think that's, um, really valuable. I don't think that, um, constant video feedback is a great solution because then they become reliant on it because they'll do a repetition and they're like, well, that felt pretty good, but I'm not really sure because I need to see it on video and they're like, Oh, okay. That was good. Versus just kind of trusting themselves. And and they've got to kind of really tune into their internal feedback. And if, if they never do like, you know, you don't get, you don't get to race where every, after every lap, you get to stop, check, Hey, did that look good? Like you got to just go and you have to make adjustments if you have to, and you can't, you can only do that if you can feel it. So um, based on some of the many frustrations you had during your, your coaching journey, you the, he decided to well the old school way was or the old the old school way of saying this was you put pen to paper but you put fingers to the to the to the keyboard so yeah. uh out, out of this frustration you, you were after writing a, a a beautiful book which i'm very grateful you sent to me before this podcast uh a constraints led approach to swimming and there, there's so there's so much familiarity to me from this from my my own exploration to skill acquisition but obviously it's very specific to swimming itself so maybe just talk about the genesis of the book, why you decided to write it, the process, writing it. And then if you don't mind, I'd love to ask you maybe just some questions in regards to the sections and, and the chapters. And, and and then you can just delve into delve into what's in those chapters and why you felt they were important. So maybe just start off with why you felt the need to write a book. Sure. So, um, you know, as I mentioned earlier, I, I read that interview with um, Keith Davids and then, you know, I started reading as much of the research as I, as I could. And I read his book. And at some point, I think it was maybe 2000, I don't know, 10 or 11. I just emailed him um, and he responded within a day, which is uh, which was very unexpected. And, you know, over the, the next, I don't know, seven or eight years, um, we had, we had responded uh, or corresponded pretty regularly and he was always really, really, really helpful and, and really, really gracious in his responses. And then one day, so 
he was part of a group that um, wrote wrote a second book about uh, a second constraint sled book. I think the first one came out in like 2008 and the second one was maybe 2019. Um, and this was about 2017 um, when they were, you know, they were pretty, they, they thought they were further along in that book than they, than they, I guess they were, but they basically asked me, he, he just asked me, Hey, we're doing a series with different sports. Would you like to write the swimming one? And so I was like, sure. I mean, why not? Um, and then, so I wrote most of it, um, I think like 2017, cause it was supposed to get published a long time ago, but such is life. Um, and then, you know, I was just, I don't know. I felt like so much of, of skill development in swimming is just kind of like, here are some drills to work on some skills and there's no systematic approach to it, which is probably true of, of most sports and there's no long-term progression. There's no integration between anything. It's basically just, if you do these drills a couple times, like it's going to fix something. And um, my experience was that that's not the case. So I, you know, I thought that, I, you know, not that I have the answers, but at least drawing attention to the problem and pushing thing, pushing the conversation in a different direction was a, was a big goal of the, of the book. So how, how did it, how did it come about then? So you had the idea, did you reach out to Keith and ask him to put you in touch with a publisher or? No, he, he just, he just said, we're, we're doing this series and there's going to be sports specific books. Do you want to write the swimming one? And I was just, okay. Okay. Yeah. So okay. He basically like threw it at me and I was like, yeah, I'll do it. So sorry. I, I thought you were, you were writing a chapter within a book. He no, was no, 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 no. So, yeah. so, so I think so far there's been published. Um, uh, there's been a, a golf book, I think a figure skating book. I think um, Rob Gray, who the, does the perception action podcast he, he just co-wrote and released um a baseball book base baseball yeah yeah. Yeah, yeah so this is this is the next you know part of that next um the, the next iteration of that series i'll have to do the harlem one yeah <laughs> i'm not I, i'm nowhere i'm nowhere near at the uh at the level you boys are operating at in terms of the the application skill acquisition but i i have the the book here in front of me and the contents um so just the breakdown of this, your introduction firstly is is brilliant as we discussed just before we came online. So I'll just um read that quote and then maybe just get you to to say why you, you wanted that included. Yeah. It really resonated with me. So just for the listeners, um introduction and the t- the title of the introduction is Searching the Landscape for a New Way, which is a beautiful title. And uh, the quote at the very very beginning of this section of the book, once a swimmer has become a senior competitor. There's not much you can do to change their stroke. And the first line by Andrew, and this really actually kind of brought me into the book. I really loved it. Uh, the re- the rejection of this idea is the central premise of this book. And I was like, damn right it is. So m- maybe yeah. just, uh, you know, why why you felt that was such a nice sort of opening to the book. Sure. And so, so I think, you know, that's, you know, frankly, that's the perspective of, of many coaches is just basically like, it's too late. Um, and I think a lot of that stems from the fact that the approach that's generally taken, which is again, just do a couple drills in the beginning of a workout or do some drills in the beginning of a season and then just start training. Well, that that's not going to work. And so if that's your approach, then yeah, that, then that statement probably is true. Um, however, you know, I've found that it's not the case. And so I think that once, you know, if, if you believe something's true, then that dictates all of your actions. And so for me, it was kind of the first thing is, you know, that's the real first hurdle is getting people to believe that you can actually make these changes at any age with any athlete 
regardless of how, you know, quote unquote talented they are or any of that, things can change. And once you have that perspective, then it, then it's a matter of, all right, well, how do we make that happen versus, because you, you don't even ask the question, how do we make it happen if you don't believe it can? And so that was kind of um, a, a big part of it, because I think that that's, you know, the so important is believing that these things can happen because you'll, you, you will find a solution eventually if you believe that one is possible. And so that was, um, you know, and just kind of, I, I've heard that statement one too many times and, you know, I just think it's complete garbage. So that was kind of the, um, you know, and, and that basically that's the, what I've been, been trying to do is find ways to, to more effectively help people change their skills. Yeah. Just on that, then it's, it's a conversation I've had with, with numerous coaches and on the last podcast of Stu McMillan, we had this conversation. It's something that Stu has, has touched on an awful lot, particularly as it um, pertains to sprinters, how like how do you know when something is just a bandwidth within a technical model versus no, this actually is an an like this actually is an issue that's holding you back performance wise. Does that make sense? So like yeah. as in like you know, of course that there is a technical model to like every skill, and then obviously within that technical model, there's like individual style or the the word we kind of typically use is there's bandwidth, but yeah. then it's kind of like there is that sort of okay. There definitely is a line between right. That's bandwidth with the inside a technical model versus no. Actually, that has gone outside of an acceptable technical model. Now it's kind of like how like how do we make that demarcation? Like where is that line? Okay. So would you regards to swimming like yeah, like how how have do you have a rule of thumb or heuristic where like or something that helps you make make that decision? Um, and then just something on top of that then is like. Well, let's see, I suppose you're, you you are coaching 18 to 22 year olds, so they are probably more malleable because another thing I asked Stu about in terms of change in technique, he was like, there is other context in that, you know, if it's a, say, a soccer athlete with a Premier League club and they're 34, he's right. like, am I, am I really going to like really go after this guy's technical model and acceleration where, you know, you have the guy just out of the academy, you know, there's who's only 18 or whatever, 19 right. or maybe even 17. But of course, in your world, you're kind of with the 18, 20 year old stuff so kind of takes out of the equation. Right. So yeah, the question yeah. then is like, how, how are you, how, how are you differentiating between this is just bandwidth within a technical model or no, this actually is an aberrant movement issue within, within the technical model. Right. So, well, so the first thing is, is one, it, it may be a little bit different because these kids, when, when they're 18 to 22, most of them started swimming when they're eight and they're swimming year round for okay. a long yeah. time. So they're, they're not super malleable. They've been swimming, they've done more than their share laps. And so at that age, they've, you know, they've done a lot of swimming. And so I would say that, you know, that's kind of where I was going with that quote was that because people think by the time they're a senior swimmer, and that means about 20 years old, it's just, they've done too much. It's, it's too long to change things. Um, and so, so I think that that, you know, in some ways that's probably comparable to the, you know, the 34 year old soccer player, just because they have done so much, so much swimming um, to answer your question. So as much as possible, I, you know, I try to avoid issues that I can't know the answer to. So the, the issue with that bandwidth question is that it's hard. You don't, you're never going to know where, where exactly it is. And so I, I watched this, this, TED talk a long time ago. And so it was about th this guy, I think his name's Daniel Burris. He's, um, uh, he's into technology stuff. Um, but basically his idea was that don't try to solve problems 
make them irrelevant. So he called it skipping the problem. So the, my solution to this to this bandwidth problem is that I don't, you know, I'm I'm going to give them basic tasks to do, and I'm going to put performance requirements on them, so that the only way, so it basically forces them to find a solution that's going to work. And so rather than like identifying um, bandwidth issues or or technical issues, I try to just give them all the tasks that they need to be able to accomplish to 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 be successful in swimming. And I let them figure it out more or less however they want. And I just keep adding different constraints to kind of push them in different directions. And so I try, you know, I try not to look at their individual skills too much. This And this is kind of getting a little off the weeds, but um, no, it's it, good. It's good. It's more about like, are they, are they meeting the basic principles? And then um, are they finding a way to, to solve the problems that I've set? So for instance, if you need say that, you know, so the longer you can take, the longer you move, the further you move through the water with each stroke, the faster you're going to swim. So I don't, I don't necessarily care how they do that. So I'm going to find ways to put pressure on that skill to force them to, to, to do those things. But I'm not as worried about the solution that they pick because they're going to pick the solution that's going to work best for them. And so I'm not super, um, I'm not really analyzing what their specific skills are or the, how they're actually solving these problems as more as are they making progress towards the goals? If so, I'm going to keep rolling. And if not, can I change the task to push push them more in that direction? Um, that's more of my consideration versus like, all right, I like I like the elbow to be bent at 35 degrees. They're bending it at 45. Is that too much? Like that, I I, I try not to go down that path because it's just so it's it's so hard to know the answer because um, you don't know you don't really know how strong they are. You don't really know how much range of motion they have. Like, and and I, I get you can measure isolated joints, but that's not really how it works when the whole system's working together. And so it just it can be very different. And and obviously, like you can just, you know, you could just look at something and be like, well, that's kind of a disaster. But the solution is is still the same. I'm still gonna give you these same tasks and I'm gonna make you figure it out. And so I think I I I've become less and less interested in. Um, really watching what people are doing specifically. Of course, it's happening, and, and I'm I'm aware of it. But I'm more interested in how do I set up the tasks so that they can um, be forced to solve the problems that really matter for swimming. Um, and and everyone has to solve all those tasks, so everyone's going to be doing them. If someone has an issue in a specific area that's that's more significant, we just might do more of those type of tasks than than someone else. If that makes sense. No, no, it's it's very good, and there's a few thoughts come into my head there. Um, so well, like the the so first, quick. oh yeah, go ahead, go ahead. So so some of this stuff can seem really like kind of out there, and and whenever you know if someone ever has the opportunity to 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 talk to someone within um, their sport that's playing with these ideas, the more you can make things concrete and with specific examples, that can that's always super helpful because then people can really start to see how these ideas. Um, come to life. And and that was something that was really helpful for me. And, and, and whenever trying to communicate with another swim coach or, or something like that, I almost always start with the practical examples and then understand why, and then explain why I'm doing that because it makes it so much easier for people to get their heads, you know, kind of wrapped around this. Cause it can, it can be really inaccessible at some time. Cause it just sounds like voodoo. 
so what what comes into my mind there is f- first thing you know when people the whole thing about oh you can't change it's like well it's universally known now you can change if you just look in the neuroscience literature because there's a thing called neuroplasticity which has been known for a long time now so the fact that plasticity is a well-known concept means that change can happen at any time so that's just like the first like sort of uh rebuttal you can make to that claim what comes into my mind though as you were speaking there was the word self-organization or if that is two words because i know it's kind of like it's kind of like separated by a little line in between i think so what does that mean yeah so uh but self-organization seems to be kind of what you what the, the sort of sense i'm getting from yourself yeah. and that you know I, I set up a task and i let them self-organize around it um and then the other thing that kind of came true to me as you were talking there was what you spoke about at the very start. You were like propulsion and reduced drag, propulsion and reduced drag. It's like, well, if you're setting up a task and they're self-organizing and if you're recording, which you said you do record and you're recording their times and they're improving, well, that has to show that they're propelled, they're propelled, they're propelling faster and they're reducing drag. So it's kind of all within that principles of your sort of those two main sort of principles. The one thing that did come into my mind there was how do you deal with a decrease in performance because there's a destabilizing phase where they're there they might be unlearning uh, a certain model that isn't that that isn't um it it, it isn't yeah. sort of think of it, it isn't serving them it, right. as uh, it isn't serving them in terms of the best performance they can make right. and you're trying to set up a task where they can propel better and reduce drag so, but they go through that sort of destabilization period and performance reduce a little bit, and then they get frustrated. And there is that, okay. and this this goes for all sports. And then the athletes are like, you know, does this coach really know what they're doing? And like, yeah. why why didn't you just leave me alone? I was happy with what I was doing, e- e- even though even though their times might have their performance have been stagnating for a long time. And you're like, listen, just trust the process. Trust the process. How do you deal with that? So again, I think I think it comes back to the the skipping the problem thing, and so. Um, well, first of all, what, I, I listened to the podcast with Stu recently and he said, you, you just nudge them. And that's, and that's exactly it. Like you're not making these wholesale changes. And so with, with, I, I try not to talk to them about what we're doing. I'm just like, just, just do this tap. Like, so say I, I have them, um, do a task that's forcing them to swim differently, but then when it's time to just, so that's a constrained task. So then I'll give them an unconstrained task where it's just like, all right, just go, just swim and just see how, like, whatever, just see how fast you can go. Then they're not thinking about what they did in that other task. But but in that other task, they may have gotten some insight, probably subconsciously, in terms of how to move differently because it felt a little bit differently. They moved a little bit differently in, through the water. And then over time, they're just going to start carrying that into their regular swimming. And so it's not this, um, all right, stop everything, change how you're swimming, and then, yeah, if you do something like that, there's going to be a huge destabilization. But because I'm just giving them little inputs that are that they don't really know are um, this is to try to force you to swim this. I'm I'm just like, hey, just do this set, and it just starts to bleed into their swimming, and it's a lot more gradual process. And so, um, I you know, I, so it, it's almost like an example. So so say someone does some. Um, some strength exercise in, in the weight room and they, and they can feel it when they run or something like that. Like they just kind of just get this sensation and it just kind of carries over versus like um, you're trying to actively change their technique, if that makes sense. So it's a much more gradual process. And because you've planned this and you start this in the beginning of the season, you're not making um, reactive. Dis- it's not like it's in the middle of the season. 
all right, we got to change their skills. You you know what you're doing from the beginning. And at the beginning, their performances aren't very good because they're not in, in good shape. And so they're going to be making progress throughout the whole season. And those changes are just going to get integrated in, in the season. And so there's not going to be this drop in performance. You get into trouble when you're like midway through the season, you're pretty fit, you're swimming pretty fast. Now we're going to make some changes. Well, yeah, there's going to be a drop in performance. But if you've integrated it from the start, those skills are are changing as they're gaining fitness, as they're kind of building into form. And so it's just all kind of this part of the same process. Um, and because it's not super cognitive, I'm not telling them you have to try to swim this way. They're not really that worked up about it. Like what happens is, you know, sometimes it's, you know, it's just a slow process. And they're like, hey, I felt pretty good when we were doing this stuff. And that starts to feel good when I'm swimming regularly. And like, and it just kind of happens that way, as opposed to being like forced. And, and again, like the more you can keep things non-cognitive for these kids, the better chance that things happen more seamlessly because they don't, they don't even, they're not even thinking about it. Like they're not trying to do anything. It just kind of happens. Yeah, no, great, great insights there. And it, to be honest, that's, a, that's shows a bit of my ignorance with regards to swimming, you know, the, cause I, I just haven't been involved in that sport. Not to the, not to the extent that you have, of course, as I said, I, I did swim when I was a kid, like did my lifeguard badge, but I never competed in as a sport. Or I don't know much about it. So what you said there, what, what, Sorry, what, what you Sorry, you're up there, Rob. Go ahead, yeah. the principles can apply to any sport, though. It's just like you know what you. Oh, have. I know, I know, but I just mean sorry, sorry to interrupt you now, but yeah. I just mean like the, the way you explain that calendar year of well, like if this is at the start of the year, you know, obviously you're not making these rash changes in season. I'm like, well, of course, like you know, as you were saying, I was like, well, we do that all the time. Yeah, yeah. Oh, sorry, I know, but as you talked there, I was like, well, that makes complete sense. It's just that I didn't. Yeah. Think that, like the whole, the whole like academic year or the, the the competition schedule for competitive swimming that didn't enter my thought process with that question as you answer I was like well that makes complete logical sense so I, well, that's what i meant by i just showed my ignorance oh but like i know what you mean by the, like the principles of what you're talking about here apply to any sport because they're principles yeah 100 percent. cool um just uh, another thing that came to my mind and this um this actually was a part of, of my master's when when i when i was studying my skill acquisition model um, I don't know if we said I, I don't know if we said this on the actual podcast or was when we spoke beforehand, but like I absolutely fell in love with skill acquisition through my masters, and I actually did a presentation on augmentative augmented feedback and like how to provide feedback in terms of when we're teaching teaching and coaching our athletes. So with regards to swimming, what are your thoughts then on feedback? Because just in my and again, this will show my ignorance too. Because I'm just thinking in my mind if. And I know you're saying you set up tasks and all this to make the learner more implicit, which is obviously a big component of the constraints-led approach. But like, if if there was just an element of, you know, a technique within one of the strokes, and you felt that the athlete would really or the swimmer would really um, benefit from visually seeing this, would that be a case of, in terms of augmented feedback, you've got different types, obviously, and one of them yeah. being like visual and actual video. Yeah. Like, do you would you actually take out a phone, record them, take them out, yeah. and say this is this is what I mean, or would you show another swimmer doing it? Maybe. Yeah. So, how, how do you go about with feedback? So, so specific to video, I think I think there's two things. One, if if they're not, um, if they're really uncertain about what they're doing, like especially in the initial stages, because like ah, this just this feels I can't be you know they don't they don't trust what their body's telling them then that can be really helpful for showing them proof it's like because they don't always really believe you when you know as a coach they're you know when when you're their coach you're not an expert for whatever reason um so like they're you know they're like i don't think it's right and you're like i'm telling you you're doing fine and they're like and then they're like no i don't think so and then you can just 
show them the video and they're like, oh yeah, I guess you're right. And I was like, well, yeah, I know I'm right. <laughs> um, that So that can be really helpful. Um, I think that over-reliance on video can be problematic just because, um, you know, they have to be able to feel it. If they can't tell intrinsically what they're doing, that, that that's a problem. So I think that that video can be useful for that, for really helping them um, trust it. Uh, in, in terms of just feedback in general, I think when they're when they're doing an initial task, that they, when they're doing something they haven't done before, it can be really helpful to just be, you know, kind of encouraging, like, yeah, you, you're, you're in the right direction. No, just do it a little bit more. Just do it a little bit less. Um, just so that they have a general sense of, of what they're doing. And once they have that, um, you know, I'm probably a lot less, um, I, I provide a lot less feedback in terms of, um, you know, how they're, how they're moving through the water and, and their, their actual skills. What I do try to provide a lot of feedback is performance feedback. And what I mean by that is, you know, objective stuff, like you're moving your arms this fast. The time was, was this fast. You're moving this, um, you know, this, this is how long your stroke is like those type of things that are super objective because then they can work to, to change those things. I think that's really important. And then another type of type of feedback is um, just being really encouraging because, you know, a lot of this stuff is hard and there's going to be a lot of failure and you're going to have to try it again. It's not going to work the way you want and you're going to have to try it again. And that can be hard for a lot of people. So being really encouraging is important. And then the, the other thing that I, I'd like to do is, I, you know, I ask questions. And so if I see something that I don't think they're paying attention to, I can just ask them like, Hey, how was your head on that one? And so instead of being like, Robbie, your head was terrible there. I'm like, Hey, how was your head? And they're like, Oh, maybe I should think it. like, it's kind of like a trick where it gets them to focus their attention without you actually really telling them what to do. And so, um, and the other thing I like to them get them to, in the habit of is, um, being a little bit reflective, like, Hey, what was good about that? What was, what was, what could be better? And and then, because I think with, with training and it's all about problem solving. And so if you're not kind of thinking about like, Hey, that was good. All right. I need to do more of this, or I need to do less of this. Um, you're not going to get as much out of it as you could. And I've found that so many athletes shockingly just they're on autopilot. They're just going like, they're just swimming. Um, they're not really thinking about what they're doing and you have to coach them to do that. And you can't just tell them what to do. Like, you can't be like, come on, think about it. You have to make them do it by asking them what was good about that. And they're, and when you first start doing that, they're like, uh, and they have no answer because they literally have no idea. And then over time, they're like my arm. And then eventually they, you know, a couple months in a year in that, you know, they're just kind of dialed and they know what to do. And I think that's super helpful in terms of um, facilitating engagement. And so a lot of my feedback and, and my interactions are more about helping them learn to kind of coach themselves and, and guide their process as opposed to being like, move your arm to the left. hundred percent. You know, the, a couple of things there. So you're so right in that. Yeah. If you've been their coach for a significant period of time, like it gets to a point where like, it, it's almost if like you have that, it's almost like a parent child relationship where like, you know, it's, if you're, you're it's you like, they nearly see it as that like kind of father figure, like, ah, whatever dad. And it's like, if someone else said it to me, like, really? Cause yeah. I, it's just so funny. Like you could literally take me into your swim team and just tell him, oh, this is Robbie from Ireland. He's like, you know, whoever, like a great yeah. swim coach. And like, I could, you you know, you could just say, Robbie, tell, tell, yeah, you, you just, you, you, you be beside me and you say to tell such and such this and I'll tell him they go really. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Real yeah, enthusiastic. Yeah. Cause I'm a novelty. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. You're hundred percent right. It's so funny. But well, I, uh, so like with that, I try to provide whenever I'm providing feedback, it's objective because 
you know, the video is the video, dude. You can't argue with me. Like, or the time was the time. You can't tell me it wasn't the time. Like, I'll show you my watch. If like, and I've had that too. It's like, I don't believe you. It's like, you're really going to make me show you my watch if you don't believe me. And so, yeah, it's, it, it, I mean, it's, it's funny when you expect it, but it can be frustrating if you don't, if you don't, you know, at, at sometimes for sure. Yeah. And what else, uh, the other thing that resonated, resonated with me there in your last answer too, was how my coaching's evolved too. And just, you know, we've mentioned Stu a couple of times, um, like when I did my internship at all, and I, I was kind of along these lines anyway, but really just watching Stu coach. And then I, I always joke after I say that, because really you watch Stu, not coach. Yep. <laughs> like Stu just observes and observes and the same with Dan too. But I, I saw, I was at Stu every day. Like Dan, Dan was still kind of, he was kind of like semi-retired and I was there. He was doing a very small bit of coaching. So I was with Stu mostly. Well, I was, I was with Stu every day. And just like just getting to watch how Stu observed and just process the whole environment and like it, it was it was it was very very um influential and it was funny because I came back to Ireland then and I wasn't doing a whole lot of sport coaching like right now I'm a head coach of a hurling team and um very similar to yourself and very similar to Stu um. But before I just get on to that, I came back to Ireland. I actually got a, a, a new job in a gym and I got fired after a month because they were like, you just don't coach. And I'm like, because in their head, coaching was shouting. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. yeah. Like, yeah, you're cheerleading. Whereas I was like, I just was pure. I'm just like, I was like, that's not coaching though. Like, right. but anyway, I listen, I, the, there was other things with that as well. Like, I just, uh, I just, one, I'm unemployable. I can't work for, <laughs> for, for a boss. And two, like, I'm not a personal trainer. So, I don't even like even it was one of those like in your head like there's a party you're going like this is not gonna work like yeah I know but at least I'll get a, Let's a month see what happens I'll get a month I'll get a month of yeah yeah there'll be shits and giggles and I'll get a month salary and then we'll we'll move on to the next chapter in my life this will be a very short chapter in the book <laughs> but uh now that I'm back I, I'm back coaching now with a with a hurling team and it's the first actual like real proper coaching role I've had in a few years because I kind of just took a sabbatical and took a break because initially my background was all S and C for almost two decades and then I just as I say, like that nourished me for about almost, you know, two decades. And then the nourishment went. And I'm, I'm always like, if the nourishment has gone out of anything, whether it's a relationship or a career, that's just time to move on. It's, it, there's no right or wrong. It's just that chapter's closed, move on to the next, the next journey, the next adventure. So I, I've gone back in now and, and like, I always knew if I was going to back coaching, it was always going to be like a head coach with a sports team and my sport that I have always that was my first love and it's a massive love is the Irish sport hurling. So I've gone back with this hurling team and I always laugh because if any sort of up and coming coach was to come watch me do a session, they would just probably be so shocked at how lazy I am. Right. Like I, you know, I don't like, I'm not a shout or I'm not a mode, which is very traditional here in Ireland. It's like, come on lads, you're, right. you know, Irish people, they go like when, when there's a mistake, they go, Jesus lads for fuck's sake. Right. Come on, really. You know, whereas I'm real, just, I set up the environment, I set up a task, I let them at it. And then w the reason why this sparked a whole, this whole ramble for me was that I'm also like you and that, like in between our breaks of our small set of games or condition games or whatever activity we're doing, it's always about, it's 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 athlete centered or player centered. It's like, right lads, what, what do you think? You know, it's always them given, given the, 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 the feedback, you know what I mean? Um, and it's always that. Yeah. 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 And, and so like, you know, if I'm like, Robbie, do this on the next rep where you're like, you know, they may or may not do it. But if, if you're like, you're saying to yourself, Robbie, do this on the next rep, you're going to do it because you made that choice to make it. 
yeah yeah so essentially like i'm trying to set up an environment where it's where it's player led but in terms of coming up with solutions it's also them and then it's also they actually start coming up with better questions as well like you know among themselves like so it's uh it's it's purely it's purely um athlete centered as you know the sort of the lynn kidman model um but yeah it's just funny because that kind of evolved from my time with Stu. And then just hearing you talk about that, it just reminds me that. And I'm all, I always get this image in my head, like of a young coach going, like, "Do you like say anything to them?" I'm like, "No, no need." Yeah. Because yeah. even because even like so, uh, I I the 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 guy who's the manager of the team, he's he's from an older generation too. Like, so he's come from that old school coach model of like, you know, you either do the right thing or you're fucking up basically. And I'm like, no, no, no. The the fucking up is is the, the very warning. important part. Yeah, yeah, like that's where we learn. <laughs> like it's funny because like my first session in, I was like, by the way, just so everyone knows, I want loads of mistakes. Mistakes is where we learn and grow as people. I encourage it all. Uh, whereas like you know like to him like that was like what what do you mean right. he, he, you know he didn't say that but you could like see it in his eyes like and like as as the season has gone on now he's like oh my god like because like, like my whole premise with with being involved with this team is like i just want the lads to love playing hurling and i want them to get a right. sense of fulfillment from playing hurling and i always want my players to play from a place of love and not fear and like that's all I ever want. Like I'm I'm of the John Wooden um school of thought that winning is peace of mind, knowing you did your very best doing something you love. And as long as that happens, I don't give a fucking rat's ass about the final score. I just want the the men or the women, whoever I'm coaching, to absolutely love the process, love the actual training of the sport, love the playing of the sport, and love the competing within the sport. And as long as they again have peace of mind, giving their very best, doing what they love, that's all I care about. And that's kind of why I coach the way I coach. But it's sorry, just to loop all that round, it just goes back to you two being very sort of, you know, um player centered, athlete centered, or in your coach, you know, swimming with the swimmer, swimmer centered, that it's them, you know, who who are driving the process. Again, we're trying to make it intrinsic rather than extrinsic. And that's that's why I also I hate when people talk about motivation. Like motivation is bollocks. Motivation is a fleeting emotion, just like happiness and sadness. What you want is inspiration, and that's why it's called in. In has to come from yeah. within, you know what I mean? It's inspiration that you're trying to give people, so it has to be driven by them, not you. I think that's because, in also, too, is because as coaches, if you're an emotionally immature person, which most people in the world are because they were <laughs> raised by emotionally immature people who were also raised by emotionally immature people, it's just a cycle. The, the coach then is in it for them, like you know, they see the reflection of the performance of their athletes as, as something to do with them. So when they start fucking up, the coach is like, What are you doing? You're making me look bad. Now, they don't might say that, but in their head, that's what they're saying. And I'm like, Oh my god, I'm a bad coach. It's like, It's nothing to do with you. You're a facilitator, you're a facilitator. That's all you are, you know. So, and again, listen, I was that coach, it's just part of our journey, and probably no doubt, maybe in the start of your coaching journey too, you were a bit more, you know, explicit with your instruction and probably. You know, you took teams, you, you took things subconsciously offensive. And what I mean by that is, again, an athlete not doing something like making a quote unquote mistake. You you subconsciously take that as like an offense to your coaching. You're like, oh, my God, why are they fucking up? It's making me look bad. We're like, it's got nothing to do with you. Nothing right. to do with you at all. So, yeah, that's just that's just kind of got me onto that. And that's my rant yeah. for today. <laughs> um, sorry, just and then. With the book here, there's there's a chapter in section three, and I love the title of it: a systematic approach to change. Just talk to me about that. Right. So the way, um, I so so again, like you have these basic issues that you know are going to have to be addressed over the course of a season, and so, but you don't know the specific solutions 
for, for the kids. And so what I try to do in the beginning of the year, so, um, and I, I put a couple examples in, in, in the book with that. Um, I'll try not to use them because it won't have any context for anybody, but the, the, the um, so, so the beginning of the year, it's more about kind of, you're, you're just giving them a bunch of different, you're making them, so say you have this basic skill, we're going to do different versions of that skill in a lot of different ways and a lot of different contexts. And we're just going to challenge it in a bunch of different ways. And that way you're kind of exploring the full the full spectrum of the different options that are available for that, you know, to solve that problem. Um, and then, you know, they're going to find the ones that kind of work better. Like, and some of that's going to be conscious, like, oh, this it feels way better when I do it like this, or it's going to be kind of subconscious as they're just kind of learning over time. And then you're just kind of whittling it down as you move through the season. And you're just kind of giving them a little bit less variability and you're kind of helping them lock in on this on the way that they want to do it and then it's more about kind of you know practicing rehearsing the way exactly what you want to do it um and and so that's a huge a huge part of it the the other aspect of it is you, you know you you clearly identify the skills that are important for for performance um at the beginning of the season and then you kind of like as opposed you know every coach has a training plan every single one it's almost like coaching you know, a coaching crime to not have like a, your, your, your layout of the, the, the physical things that you're going to work on. And so for me, why would you not apply the same premise with skill development, especially if you know, like, it's not like there's any surprise as to what, especially in swimming, what, what's going to be required of you at the end of the season. And so you identify the critical skills and then you just kind of develop a plan for making them happen. And, and part of that is, you know, what type of activities, are we going to do for skill A in the beginning of the year? What does that look like in the middle of the year? And what does that look like at the end of the year? And you can also kind of work backwards from it. So where do we want to get to at the end of the year? All right, what do we need to be doing a month before that? What do we need to be doing a month before that? And what do we need to be doing, you know, at the start of the season? And so, and and that's not to say that like you're going to follow the plan exactly, but, you know, I was reading somewhere about, the, you know, the value of a plan is that you actually have to think about all the different variables and all the different things and then come up with a plan. But the real the plan's not the the good part. the The good part is thinking about all the variables. So as you go through the plan, and things don't work out quite as well, you have at least a better sense of why that's happening. And so if if someone doesn't go through the process of that, how they you know you're you're not gonna you're not gonna change skills. Like it's no wonder that skills don't change because you've made no real effort to make that happen. And so to me, that's a a, a huge part of of it. And so you know identifying what skills are important knowing the different ways to to solve those skills and then laying them out in a, in a, in a manner that makes sense. And so like, you know, for people that are um, familiar with like, like Furka Shansky and like the conjugate se sequence system, it's like, he's to, to improve your vertical, he's got like four different five, five different types of exercises, but you do them in a specific sequence so that you get the best result at the end of the day. And so the same thing should apply for the different skill tasks too. And when you do that, unsurprisingly things change because you've made a plan and you know and that's how you learn too because when the plan doesn't work as well as you want you adjust it and then you make it better the next time um and so and so just like with with training plans you know there's eight million different ways to to you know you know there's eight different type eight million different types of periodization and all that stuff and they can all work and they can all be effective based upon you know how you think about things and your skill set and so there's not like a you know i laid out one kind of way to to plan skills but there there's an infinite number of them all that really matters is that you're you've thought it through and you actually have a plan and you actually try to implement and work the plan and make it better as you move forward and so i think that's what's kind of sorely lacking
It's funny, whenever I hear the word periodization now, I always just like think of John Kiley going, bullshit. <laughs> Fuck periodization. People know people know what, what it's meant when you use the word. I know. But see, the other thing is too, like 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 a lot of things that happen in life, fucking people completely over dramatize and over like Kylie's like people are like, oh shit, like when that whole thing came out first, they're like, Do you remember this guy Kylie? And he's like, he's like periodization's bollocks and like all planning shit. And it's like, that's not what John said. That's exactly that is not Kylie said you need a plan. You absolutely need a plan. He's just like, but you have to understand your plan has to be able to change and your plan has to be flexible because you can't predict outcomes because of humans being dynamic complex organisms it was just fucking mad like because then people were like emailing greg half going periodization bollocks half your whole life's work is fucked up now and like <laughs> yeah f- fuck you and mike stone yeah. it was gas um just i'm always really interested uh t- to ask people who have actually you know who have written a book and then published a book like what was that whole process like like because you talk to some people like I'm never writing a book again. It was awful. And you talk to other people going, "Nah, it was okay. Yeah, like it, it was tough. It took up some time, but once you you had a plan, it it was fine." How did you find the whole process? Um, I found the first go pretty pretty good. And what I would do is, um, I would I just committed to writing 500 words a day. And I think at some point I was doing it for time, but I think it was 500 words a day. And I couldn't if I wanted to keep going, I could do it, but I. I wouldn't let myself write more than a thousand because I didn't want it to be like this big, I, I wanted to always have momentum. And so the other thing I did was um, I I'd leave it when I knew the next thought I'd write that first sentence and then leave it. So I'd have somewhere to jump in right to the next day. I mean, you know, cause I tried to make it, I mean, like everyone I'm lazy. And so I tried to make it as easy as possible to, to, to be consistent with it. Um, and, and, so, so that was kind of the basic strategy. The, the other thing is I had a pretty clear image of what I wanted to say. And so from that perspective, it was pretty, pretty easy. Um, and, and so, so writing the book was, was not so bad. Editing the book was not very much fun because um, I had to modify the, I had to change the structure of it. Like, you know, if you, and it became much better. And this this was the help of um, uh, Will Roberts in particular. Um, and, and Keith helped a little bit and Ian Renshaw helped a little bit as well. And um, and so kind of getting getting the 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 storyline set up and then also just kind of changing the writing and making it more clear, making it more concise. That was more difficult because the first time was just like basically dumping ideas onto a on a page. That was pretty, pretty easy. The hard part was making it super, like you know, like literally going through every sentence and making sure that it was crystal clear and that it led into the next sentence and that someone who, you know, you, part of the problem is you get familiar with these ideas and so you take them as like self evident. But if someone hasn't read it before or isn't familiar with it, it's not like and and so it needs to be super clear. That was more difficult, and then just kind of like going back and forth with with that stuff was was harder because it, it's like. I don't know. I'm not, I'm not super good with, I'm more of a big picture person. And so that to that, to me, that stuff is like kind of pulling hair. It's kind of like, uh, or pulling teeth. It's like really minutiae, but th- that was more difficult. Uh, but I think at the same time, it was also a skill that I didn't really have at the time. And so I think that doing it again, I would probably, it would be a lot easier because I'd be thinking about these things that I had to consider after the fact, but I'd be 
considering them the first the first time through. Deadly, deadly stuff. Listen, that, that's that's all I have kind of uh, for you uh, around the book, but I have a few more, more uh, other questions for you. But one area I'm just I'm always interested in asking swim coaches about is actually physical preparation for swimmers because swimming is such a fucking unique sport because the environments in you know the, the anti gravity environment of it of being in water and like you know when I was a young um coach getting into Back then it was called strength and condition. Then it was called physical preparation. Now it's athletic development. So whatever it's going to be, whatever it's going to be called next. There was a time too where it was called performance enhancing specialist. But like for me, anytime I heard that, I was like, so do you, are you a sex coach? Is that what you do? <laughs> like performance enhancing specialist. Yeah. But anyway, but when I first got into it, like, um, again, my background being field-based sports, particularly GAA, but like, so like hurling, getting football, soccer, rugby, they were sort of the, the main athletes I was training. I never really dealt much with swimmers. And just was like, you know, you, you get into a sort of a stereotype of, well, this, this is, this is what SNC is in my head. Cause, cause these are the athletes I'm always training. But then when it came to swimming and then, you know, obviously you start to learn more about exercise physiology and, you know, you start to learn more about like contraction types and all that. And then I'm always thinking, like I kind of got to a world where it was like, is there actually anything you can do like in terms of dry, dry land training that really transfers to swimming that well? Like, I mean, if you were to really like go with the dynamic correspondence of what Ferkashansky lays out as a sort of working model for, you know, the transfer training, like I'm always thinking like, is there really anything you can do like, on terrestrial ground that transfers that well to swimming in terms of physical preparation. So I'm just interested to get your thoughts on it. Like what, what are your thoughts around quote unquote S and C for swimmers? Sure. So I think that it kind of ties into the constraints. So what you can do is you can change the constraints that someone has when they come to the water. So first thing is, you know, you need certain ranges of motion to be effective at swimming and, and in specific joints. And some of them need to be um, pretty extreme or, and in some cases, the more is better. So you need to have as much as as much as your structure allows, if you can help people get access to those joint ranges of motion, that can be really helpful. And not only like, it's not so just like a flexibility thing, but they have to be able to get into those positions and control those positions and be safe in those positions. And so there's a lot of people. um, So, so like we were talking about earlier, the reducing drag thing is, is that's hard if, if your spine is unable to be positioned in certain ways, or you don't have full you know, full range of motion through the shoulders in certain areas, like you can't, you can't do that. And so I can't coach that if I can't coach or I can't coach you to get in positions that you can't achieve. So that's really important. And, and, and that's not an advocate. I'm not advocating like stretching is what, what the solution is. Um, it, you know, it doesn't really matter what the solution is, but you just have to have as much as your body will allow safely is getting access to all those range of motions. Secondly, um, you know, from a propulsion standpoint, you know, you need to produce force. And so, you know, it doesn't have to be like, the, for me, m- much of strength training, and, th- and this might be biased in terms of the, um, the, the, because of, of swimming, I'm less con- concerned about it from a, um, a coordination standpoint. And basically it's just, it's just horsepower. Like if you have more muscle, you are going to be able to do certain things in, in, in the water and you, and you'll learn how to do those because if you don't have the, you know, if you literally don't have the muscle mass, you can't produce, produce enough, enough force in certain, in certain positions. And so that's super useful as well. 
Um, and so those are kind of the two basic things. It's like you can change who a person is on land more effectively than you can in the water for those type of things. You can you can help them achieve and control range of motion that they couldn't otherwise. You can learn how you can help them uh, develop the you know the control to controller or stabilize. Uh, that's not the right word. Um, yeah, to, to be able to like control their spine, I guess, a little bit. And so, you know, you want in, in, in swimming, you literally want their spine almost as straight as possible because that's going to be help, helping them move through the water. And so you, they have to be able to get to and control those positions. And then the more muscle they have, you know, of course, there's diminishing returns and that, that actually happens pretty quickly. But um, if they have the appropriate amount of muscle, then they're going to be able to create force more effectively. And so you can do all sorts of things to learn how to use those um, those abilities in the water. And if you don't do that, then it's kind of a waste of time, but if they don't have the necessary muscle mass, whatever that is, if they don't have the necessary joint range of motion, doing that stuff on land is going to be the easiest and fastest way to do it. I guess it's just, it's so hard to replicate the exact yeah. con contraction type that you get in the water. You know, it, you can't, you, you know, you, you, you can't do it. Like you can't do it in dry yeah. land. But the I suppose like the 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 one the one bit where there is a bit of transfer is the initial dive into the pool yeah. because because yeah. that that's where you are actually overcoming gravity or inertia or like that's where you can use some 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 strength and power that you develop in your lower body like but obviously if if it's a very long enduring swim well then the benefit that's kind of you know that obviously diminishes obviously as the, the race goes on but let's say it was just like a straight fifty meter or maybe one hundred yeah. meter sprint then that obviously that could be a huge benefit, but it's just always in my mind, like, you know, I just, I just always hear strength coach going, Oh, we just train them like on a road at least just get them strong. And I'm like, yeah, but the contraction type is like, if you're in the water, it's all, it's all fucking, it's all isokinetic. Like it's the same, like there's no eccentric in it. So I think the, the consideration, so, so the issue I have with, we just train them like all the other athletes is the consideration is not what, what the benefit is because the, what you're trying to do is pretty simple. You need to get more range of motion and you need to develop more muscle mass. The consideration then becomes which is going to cost the athlete the least. And so what's the most effective way to do that? What's going to, you know, the less likely to, um, you know, either injure them or just make them tired because they're doing a ton of other stuff. And so I think where the skill is, is how can you get these results with as little effort as possible? And the other potential issue is with, um, you know, like Bill Hartman's stuff, you can compress these kids too much and that's going to take away their range of motion. So you need to find a way to get them muscle mass. And again, like enough muscle mass, not more is not better. It's just enough for their, for their body and allow them to get range of motion without compromising either of those. And that's where I think the skill becomes. Um, and so if you just like train them, like quote unquote, train them like all other athletes that might work for some, but I think the, the, the potential cost of doing that can be a lot higher. Mm -hmm. I'm delighted you mentioned Bill because that's who was coming into my mind there in terms of like what what was coming into my mind was just the word shape you know shape yep. and just just thinking about that thorax shape and obviously with swimmers there is that sort of stereotype of uh, a posture that swimmers usually adopt because of their sport and they can get super compressed in around that thoracic area and then they get that fucking really really sort of uh, uh you know um dysfunctional scapular sort of motion yep. like um but no that, that that's that's uh that's like 100 with you on on what you're saying there um touched on some really good concepts real, real there regarding one more, one yeah yeah forehead yeah um and so what what i've noticed too is with the compression stuff it's almost like uh it's almost unfair 
because like some of the super talented kids, especially on the female side, they're almost hyper or excuse me, hyper mobile. And so doing strength work, um, one, they get the muscle mass benefits of it, but it actually compresses them just enough so that they can actually better control and have better access to their range of motion. And so like, whereas some of these other kids, if you do too much strength work, it compresses them and then they lose range of motion. These kids that actually, you can press them a little bit and they actually get access to, you know, the better con- control. I might not be explaining that right, but, but it doesn't hurt them. The compression doesn't hurt them. It actually helps them control it a little bit better. So you can actually push them further in that direction. And, you know, it, they almost benefit because they don't, not only do they not, not see the negative impacts of the strength work necessarily because they're so hypermobile, they actually kind of almost benefit from it. Um, and whereas other people, if you keep pushing them down that path, they just, it ruins their swimming. Yeah. So kind of what you touched on before that too was probably one of the, another one of the main benefits is just that sort of trying to reduce injury risk is probably one of the main, yep. more main benefits of yep. their, you know, strength work. Um, but no, listen, that is, uh, yeah, for the most part there, I, I fully, fully on board with what you're saying. Interested to know your influences. So your coaching influences, whether swim specific or just is in general coaching philosophy. Um, and it's a question I usually do ask most guests and particularly first time guests in the show, just in terms of both professional and personal influences, who've been your biggest. Yeah. So, um, so, so from, from a, a swimming standpoint, there was, um, you know, and, and part of it is like, you know, you, you're, I'm influenced, I guess, by, by everyone I've ever interacted with and, you know, along the way. And, and so it's hard to, to, to kind of tease something out. Um, so one of the first swimming influences, a guy named Sam freeze, which who basically in the eighties was doing all kinds of crazy sprint stuff. And, and to me, it was just like, there's a different way of doing things. And so, so some of his specific ideas were really great too. Um, also it was just a, a different way of doing things. And then there was a guy, um, Terry Loughlin, who was, um, again, I don't necessarily agree with, with much of the specific stuff that he, he did, but his basic idea was it's a skill sport and we should, that should be the forefront of all training design. And so that kind of got me through that process of thinking about that. There's a guy, Ernie McGlisco, who's just, um, you know, just a wealth of knowledge on all sorts of stuff and was a big influence for me. And then, um, you know, I just, you know, a lot of the Russian stuff was, was really influential to me because I was just really into the training stuff. So like Bondarchuk, Berkashansky, that stuff was really, um, influential. Um, Charlie Francis was too, just because of, Hey, speed is a, you know, just a totally different take on speed than, than what I was used to. That was really big. Um, and then like Keith David's on, on the skill development side were, were also really influential. And then, um, you know, certainly growing up, my parents were super influential. How do you learn? How do I learn? Um, I like to read if, if that's what you mean. Um, and when I do, I have a pen in hand and I'm making notes and writing in the front of it. And, you know, I think when I write stuff, it makes me, um, it makes it more concrete, but I think, I think one of the issues is that books give me ideas and then I have to actually apply it to learn anything from it. If that makes sense. Like, so a book presents the idea to me and then I actually understand what it means when I'm, when I, when I apply it in some way, regardless of what, what I, um, what I'm learning. And so I think for me, the big thing that, that books and, and, and knowledge gives me, is it gives me a different perspective 
and a, a different um, paradigm, maybe depending on you know how influential it is to to look at the world through, and then it's kind of interacting with it through that perspective is when I really start to learn things and see things differently. So, if you were really wanting to master a topic, what would be your process? Uh, it would be figure out who actually knows what they're talking about, which is you know unfortunately very difficult to do when you don't when you don't know anything. And so it's supposed to, it's supposed to like I would say so I just consume information and then I just start trying to apply it and then it's just kind of figuring it out. That's probably the the, the easiest way to do it. And and without without the consumption because if you don't have the right perspective, what you're applying isn't going to work or isn't going to be nearly as helpful. But if you're never applying anything, you never really figure out what what's what. Do you have that swimming book? Is is it called a scientific approach to winning? Is that the name of it? Yep. Yeah. 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 So I'm just interested to know because so many people rave about that book, like as if like it's the greatest energy system book ever. What's your take? What's your take on it? So that that stuff's interesting. Um, I actually, it's actually a really good book. But but what I was always the the sanity of his training stuff, or not his training. he 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 provides a certain a bunch of different like kind of sample uh, microcycles and stuff. And what I thought was really interesting was that he there's a super emphasis on recovery, which is in in contrast to every everything in swimming. Um, you know, and there was just a very sane balance of like here's how you play the different elements off of each other and and stuff like that. Whereas I think what most people take away from it is just like the lactate testing kind of stuff from it and and. To me, that was like, you know, 99.9% of coaches are never going to do any sort of lactate testing ever. Like, no, people, like it's very, very rare. And so that wasn't super interesting to me. Like, but, but just there was a lot of really, really, really good, basic, simple, actionable training advice in that book that was probably blown over by most people that read it. Good stuff. And then segues nicely into my next question. What would be your top book recommendation and what are you currently reading? And just with your top book recommendation, it can you can go with this any way you want. If you want to go with a book for a cat like each category, like training, uh, nutrition, rehab, life, whatever, or just like one book you feel everyone can benefit from. Or I know some people go, Well, if you're young, I think you benefit from this. If you're yeah. a little bit older in life, you could benefit because I, I know a good, a good, it's not really rebuttal, but sometimes people often answer a question with a book recommendation. Well, who am I recommending it to? Uh, like, you know, that, that depends. Like, yeah. you know, but I, I'll just put the question out as your top book recommendation. And mm. what are you currently reading? And you can take that whatever way you want to go with it. Um, as I've have too many books and I've read too many books. Um, so I would say from, from a skill, skill aspect, I think that the first dynamics of skill acquisition by Keith Davids and Chris Button and, Oh no, there's one more. Burnett, I think. Um, Bennett. Bennett. Yeah, yeah. Um, that that one's super. That one's really good, and 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 you can go from there. I think what's what's hard about like, there's very few books that are balanced, and there and when when you read like three books that are all imbalanced and you put them together, you get a really good balance. And so it's hard to recommend these things because then it's almost like you think that this is the Bible. I don't. I don't know. Um, just so you know, the Bible's pretty unbalanced as well. Yeah. <laughs> Fair enough. I was uh very unprepared for this swimming. I 
uh, or for this book, or excuse me, for this question, I can't speak either. Uh, so I think from a swimming standpoint, uh, A Swim Coach's Primer by Ernie Maglisco is really good. There's two volumes to that. That's excellent. Um, I, don't, I don't know. Just so you know, like no pressure. Like so, what often happens, and this usually happens in life. You ever know? We'll finish this conversation, and like oh, after later today, be like, why did I can't believe it didn't say that book? So it when when that happens, I don't, I wouldn't even say yeah. if, but when that happens, just send me the list, and I'll put it in the show notes. Right, right. Um. So those are the ones that that come to mind from from a training standpoint. There's some good life books that I can't think of right now. Um. I'll probably end up. Yeah. I'll probably email you afterwards. Um, what am I reading right now? I just read recently a book um, by Tim Grover called Winning. I had read um, the first one, Relentless, and I hadn't realized that he put out a second one um, and it was called Winning and it was really good. Um, those are um, those are two books that are that would I, I would highly recommend. Um, and then I just finished a book, uh, Buy Your Time Back by a guy, Dan Martell, I think, which is real, which was really good, too. Deadly. I haven't read those Glover ones, but um, I've they're heard good. they're good. Yeah, yeah, very good. That's great. That's great. What advice would you give to your younger self? Oh, I don't know. Because questions like that are hard because some of the, th like, the advice is is mostly like, you know, change something, but and and but you don't really know. You, you can never take out or um, figure out how, how these events have, uh, or your decisions or, or your choices have influenced you. So, um, I don't know, maybe take more risks, probably. That's what comes to mind. Yeah, no, that's fair yeah. enough. Listen, I, I understand some of these questions are really put in the spot, so I always appreciate yeah. when people put the effort into answering them. Because invariably, again, what's going to happen is you'll think you'll get more time to think about these later yeah. if if you do. And like, oh, that would be a better answer. But I think it's I, I'm I'm very much of a, a Jack White, who the the musician. I'm very much of his thought process of like being authentic and in the moment yeah. and what what you know what was meant to be was meant to be in that moment yeah. that 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 actually that thought process really helped me overcome like anxiety to be honest because you know i i probably not probably i i was a and I, I probably still do struggle with it but like i'm a perfectionist right and if you ever if you ever listen to like some of my older podcasts and i probably still do to an extent like i repeat myself and you get that with people who are perfectionists like they repeat repeat because yeah. in their head they're like did i say that properly oh i could have right. said that better why didn't i right. say it like this and i need to say it again and again until i'm happy with how i stated something because in my head I'm, i have anxiety over it that it wasn't perfect enough whereas when i kind of came across jack and his sort of whole like perspective on life he was like he was just like that's not authentic though that's fake he's like just be authentic and what comes out in that moment was genuine because then it was like he's like that's just the real you then you know what i mean it kind of goes back to our whole concept of coaching of people make mistakes right. like that, that just that's it that's that right. was that was the truth of that moment let it be accepted so that that really helped me like but um so, so along the signs, another another thing that just popped into my head with, oh, with advice would to myself would be like you know all you can do is your best so just just do it and it, you know, whatever happens, that was your best. That was for whatever reason, that was the best you could do at the time. And so you got to just let it go. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And, uh, just, just going on, on Jack White there. What I, I was, I don't, I don't know how much you know about Jack White, but there was this, and there's been different interviews. So I've heard him say this to different interviewers, loads of times, but his whole premise is like, 
he used to go out when he was with the White Stripes anyway, and no doubt he probably does it with, with his later bands that he's with. But he just used to walk out on stage with no um, song list. And also when he was with the White Stripes, he used to play like the most shittiest music equipment going. Like he used to play like these fucked up guitars that he got from like secondhand shops. And people and he he play with like all old equipment and he'd record on old equipment too. Like and people would always be like 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 why why do you do that? And he goes because that's what true creativity is. He's like I want to and this this goes back to like the constraints led uh, yeah. the constraints led approach. He's like I want to put myself in in such a constraint that like I, I want to see how much I can create from such a you know from such a constrained model basically. So so with the white stripes like he was like we only ever allowed three things drums. The, a, a guitar or a piano one or the other and vocals that was it and he's like what can i make from those three things and not only that too he had someone who couldn't play the drums like make yeah. make when when he started the voice choice make never play the drums she, like he he just told her right you just do this basic this is basic right. rhythm you just do that and we'll, we'll see what we can do and also their their color setup they could only wear red white and black so he was like here are my constraints and what can i create create from this and like he created six unbelievable fucking albums from that from those three constraints he's just a fucking genius and there's a you probably heard me had this conversation with Sean Miska like the the documentary it it might get loud and it's it's so good the opening scene of that is jack white making a guitar right uh, well, I say a guitar. I should say just he's making like a, a thing you can make music with. It's not a guitar, but he has he has a piece of rotten wood, right? And he's fucking driving these two nails in it, and he's putting this this fucking metal coil around it. And like you know, when you're watching, like what the fuck is this guy? Yeah. And then he he gets this fucking like kind of like it's like a like a an adapter for an amp, and he nails that to the wood, and he plugs this thing into an amp. And then he just starts flicking the coil wire and it makes this like this sound of a guitar. And he's got this cigarette in his mouth. And then like he plays this little tune on it and it sounds it sounds unbelievable. Like if you had your eyes closed, you'd be like, that is a fucking savage guitar riff someone's playing there. And it's just a shitty piece of wood and a silver coil. And he takes the fag or the cigarette out of his mouth, looks at the camera and goes, Who says you need a guitar? <laughs> that's, <laughs> that's the start of it, right? And in that documentary. There's a clip where it's the edge from from U2 and the edge is all about technology, all about like how can you fucking make this this simple little guitarist sound unreal and he's putting all this different input into it and all this. And like it's like it's it's a studio in Dublin and this is like this fucking massive like studio with all this like complicated looking technology and you know, he's putting like fucking fifty different inputs into this one riff he's playing. He's like, listen to this, and it's like it sounds great and all. But then the very next scene is Jack White, and he's driving this fucking shy car in Tennessee, and he's driving down this dirt road with all these fucking broken down houses in the background, and he's just there potting along in the car. And the first words out of his mouth, and I'm paraphrasing, but they're basically like, I hate technology, it kills creativity. Like the complete antithesis to the edge. And like to me, I'm like, that's that resonates to me like that that touches my soul like and learning that sort of insight from how he viewed reality it really helped me again with my anxiety and my perfectionist going like i just gotta let that go because that's not real and like why would you want to live a life that's not real then so like this whole thing of like having to repeat yourself and all it was like perfect there this whole anxiety thing is like that's fake and and that really helped me with coaching too and like telling my athletes like make mistakes it's great that's fucking that's where we grow that's where we learn like you know what i mean that was meant to be it in that moment it just really helped me i've I've actually heard the the that that story and maybe maybe from your podcast um with the with the playing crappy uh instruments and so what i would you know i actually do that fairly often with sets is i just put these 
you know, when I'm, when I'm writing to practice or whatever, I just put these constraints on myself and just force, force you to do something differently. And cause I've, that's brilliant. And a lot of times the stuff you come up with is better than what you would have done otherwise. It's so funny you mentioned that because with the hurling team I'm with right now, it, it's a, uh, so in, in, to kind of explain this is kind of funny because you've you've schooled me on swimming i'll just give you a bit of hurling here so in in the in the system we have in the state that i live in so our we say counties here but a county is like a state in america um you have like your senior a which would be your first team like the main yeah. team in your club and then there's the essentially the b team and i coach the b team so our resources wouldn't be as quite as good as the b team but i like that because right. again, just as you said, it makes me more crave. Like I, I literally have a bag of shitty cones and a few poles, right. and like we barely, well, not barely, but like we wouldn't have the greatest. Like we just right. wouldn't have the greatest equipment. Like and we've got, right. we have no like resources. That we've no sports science. We've no right. gym. Like we, we don't have any facilities in that regard. It's literally just we go and we play our sport. But it's given me such right. constraints to be creative in. Like it's so fulfilling, you know. Yeah, I've I've never seen stuff like that as a limitation. Yeah, absolutely. 100%. 100%. I suppose ju- just to maybe reword that question, because I said advice to yourself, what advice would you give to a younger coach? Um, so, the, so I would say your, your skills as a coach are your experience or sorry, your responsibility. And do not expect anyone to teach you anything. And if you want to be good at this or, or anything else, you have to actively see- seek it out. Um, and so someone had asked me one time who my mentor or they had said like, well, I wasn't lucky enough to have mentors or something like that. And, and then I, that got me thinking. And I realized that, that my mentors were basically amazon.com, uh, Google, YouTube and PubMed. And like, you know, all, all the information that you want is out there for free or very little m- amount of money. And so it, it, if you want to be good at something or anything, it's your responsibility to do that. And no one's going to like, people will help you if you ask, but basically, you know, they're not going to do anything for you. Like if you reach out to an expert, some of them will help you, but that takes, you have to make that jump, make that, that leap and, and do all those things. And the only way you're going to, you know, get to where you want is it's your responsibility and you have to make it happen. Goodwill hunting. Yeah, absolutely. Just, just for the listeners, that's a sort of inside thing with me and Andrew. Uh, I, I, and as just as you were like answering that on, on mentors, I was like, I, was, I just got this image of James the Thinker Smith, and he's just like smiling right now with that answer. He, he, he would smile that he because like he, he has this thing with like mentors because obviously they have their biases. He's like, you know, you should actively seek that knowledge from different right. resources yourself. He'd love that answer. PubMed, oh, he'd love that. <laughs> um, final few questions for you. What would you say? And it's a bit of a thinking one too, and don't worry about it if you if you can't come up with, with something that you feel is it, it will do you justice in terms of an answer. But what would you say have been the biggest lessons you've learned so far throughout your life? Um, maybe, maybe want to give a top three. Well, I think that that's a a big one. Um, you know, everything in 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 your life is your responsibility, and if things aren't the way that you want them to be, it's up to you to change it. And and there's going to be things that aren't necessarily your fault. However, it's still your responsibility if you want things to be differently. That was um, a, a really big one. Uh, I guess one another one is no matter what you do or how, how you – one, things will never work out the way you expect, and sometimes they won't work out the way you want, and you just kind of have to keep rolling, and you know, you, you never know what's coming next. I think that's another another thing is so, um, you know, doing the – doing taking some 
So that was kind of the second one. <laughs> the third one was taking small, you know, small steps every day. Um, a lot of times it doesn't feel like you're, you're getting anywhere or you're, or you're doing anything, but, and then things can kind of all happen at once. And so it, you just have to keep moving and, and that can be in any context and in, no matter what, what's happening, whether it's good or bad, it's just like, just keep acting on, um, creating, you know, the life that you want and it, it might not, you might not get there, but you give yourself a chance if you keep moving. Outside of this whole swimming world, outside of this whole human performance world, what else is there to, to Andrew? Oh, is there like, you know, like is there is there a love for music, art, cooking? Uh, definitely not cooking. You know, any uh, any other any other sports? Yeah, any, any other sport uh, teams? Or I personally like running. Um, I really enjoy that. I I'm, I have not swam in a long time. Uh, I like um, I like trashy thriller novels. Um, I am I'm a pretty big music fan. Uh, although I have not, um, my tastes have kind of like solidified. I don't necessarily search out new music, but I, I do like music a lot. And, um, and I love, you know, I really like the laugh. So I think comedy is always good. Big time, man. I'm a big, yeah. Similar to you. Love music, but actually I haven't, I haven't delved into any newish material. I've been listening back to a lot of Beatles, the White Album. I'm listening a lot to lately, but comedy too. Yeah, I love sometimes just sticking on a bit of um, Bill Burr. Yeah, he's fun. yeah, yeah. Bill's good, and, and uh, yeah, there's, there's a good few comedians. I love Jim Jeffries, the Australian too. He's uh, I love sort of brave comedians, like when yeah. they, you know, they kind of put themselves into an environment they know is going to be hostile. Like Jim Jeffries does amazing gigs, like in very sort of religious areas in yeah. in the southern states and he goes at them like and you're like brave brave and hilarious i really like uh i, I like stuff that's pretty aggressive social commentary that um when when especially when they point out the stupidity of certain things that and and and, and especially when they're not supposed to do that that tends to make me laugh yeah yeah louis ck is another guy i really like too he has some very good material um Okay, uh, now I know you've listened to previous podcasts of mine, so hopefully, hopefully, maybe had a thought about this question. I used to ask the dinner question. I was like, you know, if you can invite five people to dinner. But yeah. after I uh, I listened to some of David Gray's um, podcast, I thought his question was better. His question is, if you could spend a week with three people right. that you could that you could learn from. Who would you pick and why? I think that's a better question because you know dinner with five people, it's like oh, it's dinner, and you kind of think it's gonna be an hour or two. Like, but like to actually physically go and learn from someone for a week, is there anyone that would come to mind if you could? And I'd yeah. say you know three people. So I I think I I listened to one of your podcasts pretty recently. I didn't know you had changed the question, so that is kind of a because uh, it it well, is. Come here, if you if you have five people, we'll go with five people. Yeah, no, it's um well it it kind of it makes me think of like um almost how how frustrating expertise is and i think um learning with someone for someone for a week would all, you know i i know i'd learn so much but i'd i'd realize that how hopelessly um ineffective or how, how little i knew or understood or could apply in that situation so i think that would be um really really tough um i think as insightful as it would be it would be a difficult experience, I think, too, because it's almost like overwhelming how um, little there is to know in, in any one area, especially as, as as I grow as a coach and I get better at, at certain things, it, it becomes 
you know, you realize how much goes into it. And then when you're talking to someone else who is an expert in something, you realize that how deep that they really know. And you're, and you, you, based upon the questions that I'm occasionally asked, like, I know that I'm asking them very surface level questions and we're not even getting close to what, what we're, we're going to. Um, anyway, um, what, if I could learn for someone from a week, I don't know if I have specific people, but I think, um, skill, uh, certain skills that I, someone who is extremely present, I don't, I don't know who that would be, but you know, some ex, someone who's an expert in that I think would be, would be really valuable for me personally. Dalai Lama. Sure. Dalai Lama, yeah. Maybe. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, that sounds good. Um, I think that's one that sticks out. Um, I'm very interested in, um, the Bill Hartman stuff. So I guess Bill would be, would be a good one. Um, in terms of like, just kind of a, a really high level, um, kind of biomechanics type of stuff. And then I don't know, something to change my perspective greatly on life. And I'm not sure what that would be, but someone like that, maybe just spending time with someone who lives something, a life very differently than mine. If if we were to switch it to the dinner just for an hour or two, yeah. is, is there anyone in particular you would invite just to have a dinner with someone? Well, it would be uh, a group of either comedians because I think that would just be an unbelievable like, – because you're not going to get like any deep insights in an hour from – I mean – Well, we'll say it's a dinner, so it's a night. Like, you know, yeah, we're meeting up at 8 and no, we're You know what I mean. But yeah, like, I know what you mean. I know what you mean. So I think that that, that 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 is sorry that is the rebuttal to that question. People are like because oh, that that was kind of was you know a dinner you don't learn whereas like yeah I get the yeah. idea then I've learned for a week yeah. So so I get I, I think on a short term basis I don't know like five like the funniest humans that ever lived and just put them all together and just sit there and watch but, that. But but the only thing is the only thing that comes to my mind with that answer is usually if you get like five comedians they're almost competing to be the funniest are they not you know what Let's I mean? Just it, might... it goes well. <laughs> that is, that very good awesome. very good very good very good and then other than that i think i don't know i was always like um this, oh so, so kind of go back to goodwill hunting i think one of the books he told uh matt damon to read was um it was something like a people's perspective on history or something like that i don't remember what the book was basically it was u.s history told from the perspective of the losers basically yeah yeah so i've always been really interested in what we're told happened and what really happened. And so something like, uh, I don't know, sitting down with the, like the last five directors of the CIA and like, all right, tell me what, tell me what the real deal is. And kind yeah, of, yeah, you know, that's the dark, it, yeah. The dark secrets of the world would be pretty cool. You would have loved to be in that fucking, uh, that, 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 uh, building the, the school book depository just right, just to see if, uh, if, if, uh, Oswald was there. It's yeah. like, uh, I wanted the, all those the, secrets. That, that real famous comedian, Bill Hicks, and he, he has that joke. He's like, ah, oh, I went to, uh, you know, I, I was down in Dini Plaza and we went to the school book depository and, uh, you know, we went into where, um, where apparently, uh, Oswald shot Kennedy and he's like, very, very accurate, very accurate because Oswald wasn't there. <laughs> <laughs> Hilarious, yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah, that that, uh, that that is that's actually going to sit down on oh, the shit. I'd say they could tell you, you know what I mean? Yeah, you know, maybe, and maybe like, but don't tell me anything that's gonna make me like not able to sleep at night. Yeah, 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 like the Area Fifty One stuff. Yeah. All that, you know what I mean? Yeah. Oh yeah, we we. Oh, you you want to see all the yeah. stuff? No, yeah. I'm okay. I'm okay. Thanks. Listen, Andrew, that's been that's been unreal. Thanks so much for your time, and I truly loved our conversation. And also, thanks for your patience because I know there's one or two times I ramble there, and you're very kind to just kind yeah. of. To, to like just sort of like blindly stare into the camera and go just just let him rant on 
Um, but come here, where can people find out more about you? Definitely plug your website. Um, beautiful title, uh, Chasing Flow. Um, and then where can people contact you? Where can they find out more about the book? And have you got any more projects in the works? And I suppose if, if there was any potential swim coaches or swim athletes listening to this and they want to maybe to, to reach out to you for maybe some services, consultation, maybe just let them know where they can find out more. Yeah. The, so my website is, uh, coachandrewchief.com and you can, you know, there's a con you can contact me through that. I post on Twitter occasionally too, or pretty well, pretty regularly, but not, uh, in a lot of volume. And so those are two, two places you can, you can find me. Um, the book is through Routledge, but I think if you just go to my website, there's a link to it on the, on the, um, the cover page. And that's the best way to kind of get in touch with that. Okay, I was calling it Chase and Flow. That's that is on the front page of your website, isn't it? Yeah, 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 yeah. What well, is uh, coachandrewsheet.com? Yeah, different different address than than kind of the title of the website. Yeah, yeah. I just want to make sure that's yeah. probably my probably my perfectionist kicking in. I gotta gotta get back into my Jack White. Yeah. Um, just just making sure I had that right. No, that's absolutely great, man. I really really appreciate the conversation, and no doubt we'll we'll be speaking um again in the future, and we'll have you back on for sure, and we'll definitely stay in touch. Um, but for everyone listening, I hope you really got a lot from today's uh, podcast. Definitely check out Andrew's website, his resources, and his book, A Constraints-Led Approach to Swim Coaching. But for now, until next time, take care, be well, and stay strong. Mm -hmm.